you know, try, try stuff out. And if it's a moderate success, try to figure out how to make it a bigger success. And if you can't figure out how to make it bigger, then go on to the next idea. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Overtime. This is Dribble's official podcast. I'm Dan Cederholm, your host. This is episode 30 with Jim Kudal. Jim is founder of Kudal Partners, uh, a design and interactive studio in Chicago. And, you know, out of Kudal Partners has sprung so many cool things. I've always been impressed with Jim and the way he uh, runs his businesses and um, respects the community and the audience that he has. Uh, It's just a terrific talk that we had. We talk about the Deck Network, which was really instrumental in Dribble's early days. Uh, we talk about layer tennis, obviously field notes. Um, the list goes on and on in terms of uh, the sort of successful stuff that Jim has has created. So I think you're really going to enjoy hearing from him today. A couple things before we get started. This week's episode is again brought to you by our friends at Wix.com. Push the limits of design and start creating beautiful, impactful websites that are uniquely yours with Wix. And we'll be talking more about Wix later on in the episode. I also want to again mention uh, Hangtime Seattle. This is Dribble's uh, big uh, one-day event in Seattle on May 15th. Tickets are available uh, at a discounted uh, price right now. So you're going to want to go grab tickets while they're available. We've got quite a schedule planned for Hangtime Seattle uh, lots of cool guests and speakers and activities and an after party. And you're going to want to come hear uh, Aaron Droplin speak and uh, Dana Tanamachi and Nathan Yoder and Koi Vin, among many others. So uh, just go to dribble.com slash hangtime for more info and to get tickets. And we'll see you in Seattle. And now let's get on with our chat with Jim Kudal. Welcome to Overtime, Jim Kudal. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, I was going to say we go way back, but I mean, honestly, like I've been a fan of yours for forever <laughs> and uh, of Kudal.com and all the different things you've you've been doing over the years. I don't even know where to begin, whether to ask you about field notes or even jewel boxing oh, and layer tennis and, you know, like <laughs> all of this, all this stuff. Uh, remember Dan remember when, remember when blogs meant something remember that I think that's how we met each mm, other yeah you were right you were writing yours absolutely and uh, we were writing Kudal and we were linking each other and geez you could put a link in a blog and people would actually visit the site well, it seems like a long time ago now <laughs> oh it sure does I mean it's true that's that's what started it all I owe, I owe probably everything in my career to writing a blog and, and just being I guess being in in the right place at the right time with that, but um, you know when did when did Kudal dot com start? Because you know I, I was a big fan as long as I can remember reading websites. Right. To be honest. Well, we this is going to date myself. Uh, the site actually debuted <laughs> at Halloween in nineteen ninety nine, so that was sort of the beginning wow. Wow. of the site, and it only went through really three major iterations in the course of all that time i had been writing news for k10k for a while remember that 
and uh, oh yes, yeah, one of my favorite yeah. sites of all time. And yes. um, then we just started the site just because we wanted to mess around with publishing technology, and I guess we were early enough that there wasn't so much competition, and we built up a pretty good following pretty quickly. And I think that was because we were generous with the links and and there weren't that many places to go and find links to interesting things on the web and we were sort of tied into you know you and zeldman and kotke and daring fireball and lots of other people and um we were linking out to various web design and general design and writing projects so we had got a following pretty quickly uh at kudal.com and so I like you. I think we sort of owe the whole sort of career of the firm to that silly decision to start a start. I guess it wasn't it was a blog, but there wasn't really anything. In fact, when we started it, we were updating the fresh signals in the HTML by hand. I remember that. That didn't last too long. <laughs> wow. And then we finally yeah. we finally hooked into movable type, I think, and then we figured out there was a way to do it. That was uh, easier and archivable, and uh, the individual entries could be linkable. So, yeah, we're still publishing links to Fresh Signals. We're not getting the kind of traffic we used to get. We still got thousands of people coming, but it's not like it used to be. So, yeah, it, it, exactly. It's not. It isn't like it used to be. But you know, I I kind of miss those days of of updating the site by hand, even though it was you know a pain in the ass and, and yeah, and, and different and, and and not. I mean, you wouldn't immediately know. That people are even reading it. No, uh, maybe that was a good thing. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And then you, you, but you would see the repercussions of it. Like you would post it, and then you know, mm. people were pretty generous with a via. Like you'd say, "Oh, I, I swiped this from Kotki or you know that sort of thing." And then yes. we started playing around with Photoshop Tennis, which later became Layer Tennis, and that was just kind of a goof for us to do that, but it got a really big audience really quickly. And the other thing yeah. that was a huge benefit to us is that we had to find people to play and people to write the commentary. And so our sort of circle of co-conspirators grew exponentially by trying to get people set up to play on Fridays. And then eventually uh, Adobe saw the value in it and they sponsored it for three or four seasons and it you know, became... I remember one day when we were still yeah. doing Photoshop tennis. I don't remember who was playing, but we were looking at the web stats and there was like 35,000 people refreshing the page waiting for the next <laughs> layer to come up. And I was like, holy oh. shit, that is like the United Center filled <laughs> twice with total nerds who are not getting anything done at work on a Friday <laughs> afternoon. I always thought that was pretty cool. So um not that oh, was amazing yeah, now, i remember it killed my friday <laughs> you and a lot of other people friday, and people uh, always ask if it's coming back yeah. and i'm like you know you guys are all playing later tennis and slack every day all day long already you know what i mean like there's <laughs> like when we were doing it people weren't really collaborating in real time on design work yeah you know that's true i remember you played i think right. in one of the events where we started it in australia and we passed the file every 15 minutes all the way around the world. And, you know, we were like, we thought that was pretty cool. Now it seems yeah. sort of like every day, but, you know, uh, let's not talk about all oh, this. I think it's stuff. still cool. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> I know we could go on and on about the, but, you know, I think honestly, like the, the history is important there. I think that, um, 
and it's still fun because it felt like an event. I think that's that's what's neat about it. Mm-hmm. It felt like a shared experience that was happening yes. in real time, which is kind of like the promise of what the web, you know, is or was, or you know, um, yeah. And and also, you know, yeah. I was just going to say the other thing about it. We didn't know we were doing it at the time, but by doing it on Friday afternoons, we were like, because no one at that time was scheduling anything on the web. Like new stuff would just come up when it would come up, but we actually were doing this thing at a given time. And I think that that made a big difference and a time during the week where people were ready to blow off for the weekend. Anyhow, if we're looking for an excuse to sort of procrastinate. So yeah, 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 yeah. it's all well. So, and this, it's a good example. Like layer, layer tennis is a good example of, of one of your many projects where I've always been impressed by the stuff that you do at, at Kudal Partners um, in that I always assumed that it was like this hundred person <laughs> firm that, you know, had all these irons in the fire, like all these projects going on and all of them were executed really well. And that's probably why I assumed that there was a giant team behind it. But it, but it really wasn't, yeah. right? I mean, it was a small, pretty small, tight-knit group there. Right. It was, well, we've been basically around a dozen full-time employees pretty much the whole run. When yeah. we, before, when we were just doing client work, we probably had another, you know, maybe 18 people or something. But once we started taking more control of what we were doing and doing our own projects like layer tennis or like the deck or the show or various other things that we did. Um, I don't know. We sort of felt like I sort of felt like that 10, 11, 12 people was sort of the most I could manage and be happy. I don't know. Is that kind of a weird thing? Like yeah. I didn't, I no, no, I, it's not. I've no. always liked to set type and write copy and edit video and, you know, code a little bit. And like I, when we got bigger than that, I found that I was pitching and going to meetings and making phone calls, and like I didn't really get into it for that. Like I, I wanted to yeah. be part of the idea part of it. So we've maintained that you know size, uh, whether it was a good idea or a bad idea, I'm not sure. Also, for if there's people out there who have no idea what Layer Tennis is, LayerTennis.com is still up and running. It shows. The archives yeah. of a lot of old matches and it shows the most recent season which is about four years ago now but it does occur to me that there's probably lots of dribblers who have no idea what it is so that's a good point now i'm glad you mentioned it and we'll, <laughs> we'll be linking to all this stuff in the right. in the show notes there's going to be a ton for people to to check out um right. but yeah so i i think I, I i totally agree with you too i'm i'm kind of the same way and that i like to make things and less manage things but you've managed to, you know, make a lot of things, but also have them be successful. And what's the secret there? <laughs> How do you, uh, you've turned like, basically you've turned a lot of, uh, interesting ideas into, into small businesses of their own. Um, yeah. Well, nobody remembers the ones that burst into flames right out of the gate, but, uh, um, <laughs> you know, I think our thing was we always sort of trusted that, I guess it comes down to this. We had lots of people who were checking our site every day. We're linking all these crazy things and doing all these experimental films and various stuff. And the people just kept coming back. So we just assumed as a matter of faith that there were a lot of people who were like us in the world. We're not a lot, enough people like us in the world that would be interested in things that we were interested in. And we didn't go any farther than that. So if we felt like, 
you know, there was room for a new kind of an ad network that would work for us both as a publisher and as an advertiser, then there's probably other people who are publishers and advertisers who, and readers who would appreciate a new take on the ad network or, mm-hmm. um, you know, we had so much fun on Friday afternoons playing Photoshop tennis for ourselves that we're like, well, there's gotta be people who would be interested <laughs> in watching this with us. And sort of the same thing with, you know, our current thing is field notes is, I mean, the story has been told a couple of times, many times, but Aaron Draplin, who is our co-conspirator in Field Notes, he made a little run of Field Notes on a GoCo printer and, you know, rounded the corners himself. And they didn't look exactly like the current Field Notes, but they had sort of the same voice and vibe. And he sent them out as Christmas presents. And I was lucky enough to be on Aaron's list and I got one and I called him right up. I said, Aaron, he said, he said, what do you think about my stupid little Christmas present? And I said, I don't think maybe it's so stupid. (laughs) Maybe we should make some of these and see if people want them. And, you know, I think that's Mm -hmm. it is having enough faith to pursue an idea that makes you happy and assume that it's going to be appealing to people who are like you. Yeah. And we didn't even know, like, like Field Notes is like 95% of what we do now because it's all we can do to manage yeah. it, you know? So, and we're uh, really happy doing that. And I don't know, maybe, well, we are sort of working on this other thing, but the, but, but maybe Field Notes is the thing. Like, I, I think we've been good at starting things and we've been pretty good at managing them and we've been excellent at shutting them down. And so I think that, you know, I think that that's kind of a lesson too, is that, you know, when the horse can't run anymore, get off the fucking horse, you know, like, uh, you know, with the deck or the show, which was a super successful, but of the moment we would send a couple of people out on tour with bands, uh, the Pixies and Dead King Dance and a number of other bands to take a unmixed, unmastered feed off of the soundboard on any particular concert evening then we would actually ship that feedback to another partner we had in boston who owned a studio and he would mix and master it and then the people who were at the show would sell those recordings to the people who went to the show uh, with the promise Mm -hmm. that they would get a beautifully designed and beautifully mixed and mastered copy of their concert experience in a couple of weeks in the mail and that like was yeah. in this little slot um you know when the technology was portable and the web was um monetizable enough that we could sell these cds and it was before every bit of music was streamed so like the show existed for i don't know three years in the middle in the middle and once everything got to streaming and everything started to change it realized either it was going to have to become this big huge thing with lawyers and record labels and everything else or we were going to have to let it go so we let it go so i i think that um you know try try stuff out and if it's a moderate moderate success try to figure out how to make it a bigger success and if you can't figure out how to make it bigger then go on to the next idea yeah. Oh, that's great advice, honestly. Uh, has it been difficult to let go of certain things? I mean, you mentioned the deck, actually, which, first of all, I have to thank you personally for uh, <laughs> for creating the deck because it, it really helped me out with simple bits. And then later, Dribble became uh, 
a member of the deck uh, for a long time, and and it really really helped us out. You know, when Rich and I started Dribble, that was a big deal, and it was like, you know, something we didn't have to worry about. It took a lot of you know work off our our plate in terms of gaining advertising, um, and obviously advertising has has changed, and and that probably led to the the shutdown. But was that was that a difficult difficult decision or because all this other uh, stuff's going on too maybe it wasn't as difficult I, you know it was difficult but not for the reason that you're implying it was difficult because i couldn't let go of the idea that i was letting people down like that's mm-hmm. what really it was it wasn't from a business standpoint it wasn't a difficult decision you know i'm not an accountant but i can read a spreadsheet. And it was just a matter of time before what was uh, a good business and then a great business and then a good business and then an okay business was pretty soon going to be not a good business. So like from a business standpoint, I don't have any regrets. But I do think that the way that the deck grew organically, it really grew by me and us putting together a group of like-minded people like making an ad network out of my bookmarks really. And so those are people that I had a lot of respect for you included and everyone else. And that I couldn't let go of the idea that I was letting everybody down. And that really was Mm -hmm. hard for me and, and, and personally, and it took me a long time to realize that, um, that, you know, that was one thing, but it, it couldn't continue. So, and then, you know, people are like, well, why didn't you sell the deck? And I sort of felt like it was built on personal relationships and I didn't feel like those were mine to sell in a way. And I know wow, that's, right. that's wow. sort of weird too, but I don't know. I'm okay with it now. I'm glad that it existed. I think we gave a lot of people the room to experiment and publish and produce great work that lots of people appreciated and we made some money. Um, but yeah, it was that was hard to shut down on a personal level, but from a business level, the writing was on the wall pretty much at that point. Either yeah, we would yeah. try to expand and get a full sales force and do you know do all these things that weren't really interested to us at all. And in the meantime, here's this field notes thing, which out of nowhere is starting to grow into this other thing. And I'm thinking that the time and focus I give to the deck is taking away from time and focused, you know, like if you've got two things and one of them is sort of stagnating and the other one is growing like crazy, where should you put your effort, you know? Yeah, so right, right. I, I don't right, know. Totally. And I, I don't know, maybe that's too personal. I don't know. But that, that's sort of how I dealt with it. It's not like I, or did or didn't deal with it, I guess. So, but, yeah. you know, but I got made a lot of great friends and, you know, Everybody said what you said. Everybody was like, wow, it was great while it lasted. Thanks so much. And my over, my worry that I was letting everybody down, of course, was just my own Catholic guilt. Yeah. Eating at oh, me. I so, bet. Yeah. Oh, so. I bet. I bet. Cause I think everybody was very appreciative that was a part of it. And, um, you know, that's really refreshing. <laughs> I don't know. It's refreshing to hear that, that you, you know, you said it was built on personal relationships and that's why you didn't sell it. And there's clearly like, you care. I think that's what comes across too in the products that that you work on is that you really do care about these things, and that that matters immensely. I think. I mean, in, in terms of, I mean, I hate to equate it with brand, but it's true. Um, 
that you've you've built up this goodwill over the years uh, with a with a really with a community, right? Um, yeah, I hope and so. That you care. Yeah, and it, we do. I mean, like we we get into knockdown, drag out fights about whether something is field notesy enough. You know what I mean? Like we're like like it's like <laughs> yeah. we all everybody cares. We all care about that. But you know, yeah. let me let me sit in the uh, questioner's chair for a second because I always had yeah. the impression that dribble was in many ways a passion project that was an experiment that got out of hand by growing <laughs> right i mean that's how it looked like from the outside to me like i, I no, never, no absolutely i never felt like you guys sat down and made a business plan about how we're going to get to where we want to be in 2016 no. you were just doing no. something that you enjoyed and lo and behold there's these tens of thousands of people who appreciate the same thing so Exactly. Yeah. And that's what, you know, what you said earlier really resonates for me as well. And I think there's a theme there with, you know, create something that you want to see in the world first. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe other people will, will, will like it too, because you like it and your friends like it. And, um, I think that's a really, I think it's a really healthy way to start projects that may or may not become businesses, but yeah. Um, at least you're passion. At least you're having fun along the way, right? Yeah. And you're not uh, <laughs> creating something that's, you know, just has a business plan because it needs one. And like you said too, you, you're good at shutting down things. Um, if you're okay with with the fact that some of things are going to be failing fa failures and some are are going to be successful, then you really can kind of enjoy the ride more. I think. Uh, I don't know. I agree. Does that does that I make agree. sense? For you too. Yeah, it totally makes sense to me. And I think it's not even a binary decision of whether some things are going to be successful and some things aren't. There's a lot of room in between there. You know, mm -hmm. like the three yeah. years we ran the show, we were still doing client work. And by far, from a revenue standpoint, the show was by far our biggest client. And the years yeah. that we were doing yeah. sponsored layer tennis, we still had other client work and other things. But by far, layer tennis was by far the number one revenue producer for mm. the company. So things can be okay successful. You know what I mean? They don't, it's yeah. not, it's not like, well, you know, this is either going to be a success or a failure. And that's not to say that we haven't done plenty of things that have been abject failures too. But I think that, you know, don't underestimate getting out of bed and wanting to go to work as part of the equation of success or failure. Like for me personally, and I, I hope I'm speaking for people who work for me. I assume I am, but is that idea that I'm sort of always working in my head, like currently on field notes and then I get up in the morning and I can't wait to get to work. That's part of the success formula. I mean, we, ha we have to make money, so that we can pay our mortgages and so that we can send our kids to good schools and, you know, all that sort of thing. That goes without saying. But that's mm -hmm. not the only or even the most important part of the equation of, like, are we having fun, you know? And, yeah. And, and fun doesn't mean just goofy screwing around. Fun means using your talents to their highest calling in a way like you know what i mean like i know mm -hmm. they're only notebooks but you know we spend a lot of time on the thematic part of them and on the films that go with them and on the printing processes and you know why it's because we're nerds about that stuff and like <laughs> we're happy to do it we love to come up with a project that we're 
or like, let's say an addition for field notes where we can say our curiosity, like that's like, Oh my God, like, I don't know how long we have, but yeah, let me tell, I'll tell a really quick story. Like last fall, yes, please. we do four limited editions a year. And last falls was this thing called the dime novel. And it was made in the form and design aspect of the very first, you could make the argument, the very first, uh, mass market paperbacks ever produced in America. And that would have been in 1860 in New York City. These two brothers started this company that made these novels. And it's, this is like my perfect project because we're always on the lookout for what our next quarterly edition is or the one after the next one or the one after that. And I somehow fell down this rabbit hole online investigating these dime novels that they were so interesting. I'd started because I was interested in the typography and the printing process. But later, the more I got into it, the more I read this story, I was like completely fascinated with it. And if it didn't have anything to do with business, it would have been exactly the kind of things I would obsess and be fascinated with anyhow. So Brian Bedell, who works here, is a student of American design history and publishing and printing techniques. So I said to Brian, I said, have you ever heard of these two Beatles brothers, these guys in this, this, this dime novel, these things that look like this? And he's like, no, I never had. And so we got on the phone and we called Aaron. And if anybody is a student of, uh, American design and publishing history, it's Aaron. And he goes, no, <laughs> I never heard about that either. And I'm like, well, fuck, we got to do this then. Because if <laughs> us three, if us three don't know what this is, then I know that People like Dan Cederholm don't know what this thing is, and lots of other people don't know what this thing is. So let's figure out the history of it. And to do that, we produced the Dime Novel Edition, which has some really fascinating sort of printing techniques and binding and all of that sort of stuff. But at the same time, we did all this research and found experts at universities who know about the beginnings of the American publishing and paperback industry. And we went to Northern Illinois University and DeKalb and did a mini documentary with this guy who is even nerdier than we are about it. And so um, <laughs> like that's like the perfect project because we're producing a product that we're super proud of that our customer base is going we're going to trust that our customer base is going to love. And of course, they did. It sold out immediately. And then at the same time, we're learning in our learning about this subject, we get to teach about the subject or yeah. at least point to uh, resources that can teach about the uh, subject. So that like going all the way back to where that story started is it was great that we got to make the dime novel because it was so fun to use these old printing techniques. And it was really great that everybody loved it. And we got to sell a lot of them because that made us money and made field notes grow. But it was equally as great to, investigate a subject and stay curious about it and figure out what it was all about. And so you balance those things out and that's how you decide is this business a success. You don't know one of those things in itself is the total scale by which you can judge something success. And then of course we're all giddy with excitement about this thing because we know nobody knows about it and when we when we launch this thing people are going to be like oh my god i never heard of that and so you know that like not every project is quite so clean cut as an example but that is the ideal of field notes for us is that we can um we can make fun stuff surprise people and learn along the way so that's a long way to yeah. go for a simple answer but well i'm yeah i'm a i'm a subscriber happy subscriber and i remember being really impressed with that one. And, uh, uh, I, yeah, that's, that's really, it's really cool. Like part of the, 
success measurement for for you and i i think this is true for myself too is is the learning along the way um being part of it and and i i would assume that that's true for a lot of people that make good things um from the outside you might i might have said field notes is an expert in dime novel history and therefore they decided to make this <laughs> this edition <laughs> that, right. that not, not a lot of people know about but they you know they they're experts and and they made this and it's incredible and I, now i've learned a little bit about it when in reality you know you you stumbled upon it and then kind of learned along the way which i think is really cool right and that's um, that's true of I just pick one out of the past, the Fire Spider edition, where we became experts. There's this cool company in oh, Chicago yeah. that made these Firewatch towers that could be assembled by a kit. And they were all <laughs> over the Midwest um, because they were relatively cheap to ship by rail and assemble. And, you know, they were there for somebody to be up there to keep an eye on the forest to make sure the forests weren't burning down. And we somehow got on that topic, and then we found one that was still in place in the Nicolay National Forest in north central north Wisconsin and we said well we got to go see that and then we went there we made a film like so <laughs> so that's kind of that's kind of and then we learned a lot more than we ever thought we would learn about fire spotting in the uh, 20s and 30s in the Midwest so that that's that's uh, the fun amazing part. yeah it is the fun part nerding out about this stuff yeah so I wanted to pause here and tell you more about our sponsor for this week's episode. It's Wix.com. And with Wix, the web is your playground. Start with a blank slate and design your website in any layout you want. Work with advanced features like retina-ready image galleries, custom font sets, and sophisticated design effects. Each feature is intuitive to use, so you're in control from design to live. With Wix, you'll have real creative freedom to tell your story online exactly the way you envisioned it. Push the limits of design and start creating beautiful, impactful websites that are uniquely yours. Go to Wix.com slash Dribble to get started today. That's Wix.com slash Dribble. Wix, what will you create? Was uh, Were special editions always a, an obvious thing for Field Notes to do? I mean, you, so you did the original one, which uh, was probably similar to, to Aaron's uh, Christmas right, gift, right? And then, and then, what what made you say, "Hey, let's let's build, let's make one that's uh, a special edition or a different style"? Um, I I just wonder how it the progression of let's make this mass produced notebook to what it is today, which is this giant thing where you can buy a subscription and you're doing all these different um, styles it's incredible yeah I, well we had done the the one the original and still our best-selling product of all is the craft paper colored notebook with black yeah, ink on right. it and that's sort yep. of the that's the sort of genuine article and then we did in 2000 oh i don't know nine i guess it was we did some orange ones and some blue ones just to see what would happen and they sold out really quickly and then mm. someone, I don't even know how it happened, but we decided that we would do a series of different ones. And then it didn't take long for somebody to write us an email and said, can I pay you now to make sure that I don't, I can get the next 
uh, edition. Ah, and we're right, like, oh, right, right. wait a minute. Like, that's something. <laughs> and then it sort of made, we turned it into a quarterly thing. And then, you know, and the subscription model for us was has always been a big part of the business. It's by no means the biggest part of our business at all. But it allows us a couple of really interesting things. First of all, people are paying us for products we haven't made yet, which is good for the bottom line and the balance sheet. It's yeah. sort of like an ongoing yeah. Kickstarter of our own. Right, and then right. secondly, um, having a base of thousands of subscribers makes us able to make uh, a larger print run of these, which allows mm. opens up lots of different printing and production techniques that we really couldn't afford to do if we were only doing a couple uh-huh. thousand of them. And then right. thirdly, and maybe most importantly, it gives us four really terrific reasons to communicate with our customers every year. Like when we, when Field Notes sends a mail, people don't quit the list. When Field Notes sends a mail, it's here is the new product and you're getting to look at it first. And yeah. so, and we don't go to the well very often. We do a couple of promotions every year and then we have these four, uh, product launch mails. And, um, for us, that's been really, really helpful. So it also, mm-hmm. there are events in a way. The, there is, there's a huge community of people who just buy field notes and use them and love them. But there's also a pretty large community of people who are a little bit crazy about them. And yeah, that right. col- either Collectors, collect right? them or swap them or are yeah. look, always looking for, you know, rarer ones. And so, um, you know, this subscription thing is, it <clears throat> has really been great, has really been great for us. And, from a selfish reason, as the boss of Field Notes, the other thing that it does is that it gives us four hard and fast deadlines every year. Like we do yeah, lots right. of other things, but we've got these four really big things that we have to do in a year. And when you're running your own business, it's kind of easy to let your foot off the gas a little bit. Yes. And if yes. you notice that, yeah. and um, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. And so we have these four deadlines that we have to create a complete concept and all the marketing and the print and the production and all the support materials four times a year, and that's really great for us to keep you know our knives sharp. Um, uh, and so it was kind of an accident how it started, and um, field notes could be successful without it, I suppose, but. Um, I don't, you know, again, it's that theory of money plus hap- plus happiness and curiosity is how you judge success, not just money. So, you know, Absolutely. like we were working on this thing for the spring, but you're not going to air this for two weeks. So I can't talk about it, but holy crap, is oh, it going to be amazing? And then, um, <laughs> You know, like it's Ooh, so fun. like a special spring, the, the spring edition of Field Notes, right? The 2018 yeah, cool. spring quarterly edition. Great, um, great, great, yeah. But you oh, know, and man, the, and I keeping it wait. quiet is a lot of the fun too. Like because there's all these <laughs> Reddit and on Facebook and different places where people are trying to guess what we're doing, and we like to give like yeah. really obtuse hints. And I I would actually admit that more than we would even ever want to say that people really guess these things like even out of the blue i'll see a post somewhere i'm like holy moly this person (laughs) has just guessed what we're doing for the summer you know like it's interesting so you have a rabid rabid following and i i know this for a fact even this is years ago somebody emailed me out of the blue and said hey look i know you were a speaker at an event apart in like 2008 or something <laughs> or i don't know what it was i know it was a long time ago and it, you know you got a field notes 
uh, a special field notes that had the event apart logo on the back. Do you happen to still have it? You know, if you do, he was offering like crazy money for it because he wanted <laughs> <laughs> he wanted like to be a com- completionist of, yeah, of field uh, notes. Com- yeah, complete. And I, at yeah. that point, I knew, man, they have they're on to something giant here. Uh, yeah. You know, well, I don't know about giant, <laughs> but a giant might be too big of a word. But they're just little notebooks. <laughs> but uh, but um, you know, it's that's interesting, and you know, it's interesting that people. I remember Michelle here got a mail from somebody in Italy buying one. And she was like, well, we don't really sell that one. That was a thing we did as collaboration or whatever. And the guy wrote back very politely and said, yes, but I must have it because I must have one of all of them. And I was like, <laughs> we were like, oh, boy. Like that was sort of right. when we started to see that this was coming around. So it's all fun, though. And it's like. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a built-in, you know, and those, I think those people are evangelists, too. We actually did a. Yeah, quick sure. study of sales and the people who subscribe they they pay a hundred bucks a year to get all four of our editions and a bunch of extras and stuff are also aside from that purchase are our best customers so outside mm-hmm. of their purchase yeah. for the subscription they are also buying other products in uh, larger amounts than non-subscribing customers so it's sort of interest on, oh, a, on a per person basis so it's sort of interesting that way too so we're on 30, and I think you know, we're on 39. I think spring is 39. I'm not sure. That's a lot of quarterly. Is that right? So, yeah. yeah. Wow. It, it, it looks so much fun, too. I mean, you've got the boxes where you can, for the collectors, right, where they can keep all their yeah, yeah. additions in one thing, and there's all these offshoot products that you've that you've done, too. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a question I wanted to ask, because I – you, you mentioned um, films a couple times before, and I, I know that's something I've always admired about what you're doing there is that you always manage to tell a, a really good story about what, whatever it is you're creating. And and use of video, like, you know, early on, I think, in the web to, to help tell that. And, and it always made it feel really legitimate <laughs> and um, <laughs> not that it wasn't you know, no, but, no, I, but, I but it. it elevated it you know it yeah. elevated it to a certain level and um w- one of the one of my favorite things i think you've you've made well it was one video from a video series called habits and <laughs> and this one was specifically about hobbies right <laughs> and and it's just one of the funniest things i've ever seen honestly still and uh what's cool about that video and we'll link it up in the show notes, but it kind of just this, this actor just sort of describing what you were talking about earlier when you said you, you get excited about stuff and then, you know, something sticks, some things don't, you move on. But I, I guess I wonder it video continues to be important for, for you in terms of marketing. And, um, how did that start? You know, how did, how did, how did you know that was going to be important early on? I guess. I don't know exactly. I mean, we did, we did this, uh, film. Uh, Steve Delahoyd is a uh, part of field notes. He also owns his own production company. So we kind of joke that we have half Steve. Um, and he is <laughs> generally been the leading force in all of our filmmaking or m- most of it anyhow. And we all write and, uh, work on the films together, but Steve is the shooter and the editor and the director. And, um, 
he came into the office once, this was pre-Field Notes, with this idea for a film in which we hired a copywriter and he gradually realized right, that right, we were right. all art directors and that none of us knew how to read. And so that movie is called Copy Goes Here. And yeah, it's brilliant. We, yeah, we did a little scene of it. It's it's still up in lovely standard definition on our site. Um, <laughs> and then we wrote to our friends at Veer, which is no longer around, which was a stock photo and typography retailer for a long time. Really great company. Yeah. And asked them nice. if they'd sponsor it, and they were like, uh, uh, "Okay." And so they did, and <laughs> we put it out there, and it got all kinds of views and this is pre-youtube but it got all kinds of you know our server right. bills were big and like that and so we figured that maybe there was we knew right away that if we could use film in a way to sort of advance our cause that that would be a good thing and field notes is the perfect client for people who like to make movies because we never say no to anything you know like so we're <laughs> like we'll do a whole film about a field notes edition and we won't even show it you know, like we did this edition a couple of falls ago called Shenandoah, mostly because the Highline Drive that goes through the Shenandoah National Park is one of the most beautiful places in the United States. And I had happened mm -hmm. to have just taken that drive when I was looking at colleges with my one of my daughters. And I came back and I said, well, we have to figure out a way to make a film about um, the Shenandoah Valley. And so then that was an idea where the marketing led it. And then we figured out how to make an addition that fit with the marketing. And by the time Steve and Brian came back with the footage and edited it together, the only thing we added to it was some words by Thomas Jefferson and we never even showed the product, but it's still one of my favorite films that we've <laughs> ever done. So, yeah, so we like to have, and this thing, this spring, I know I'm talking about something I can't talk about, but, I am going to go out on a limb and guarantee that the film we are making to go with this unexplained spring edition will be the largest use of time, money, and resources for a film that is the most obvious and dumb thing in the history of the world, or at least in the history of Field Notes. <laughs> and we can't wait to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, it's just completely ridiculous. But the minute we had the idea in a meeting, we're like, oh, we have to do that. We totally have to do it. So you'll, I guess that's a that's a that's a tease to stay tuned for, for spring. So. Are you are you hiring Jim? By any chance? <laughs> yeah, sure. Come on over. Okay. All right. Are you are you okay Sounds with? Like... My question is: Are you okay with Futura? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. I do love it. <laughs> uh, which, by the way, a hair of centuries, a hair of centuries school book here and there, but ninety percent Futura. Yeah. No. Which which is great. Futura. That's that's interesting. You brought that up because. Uh, I remember, you know, web fonts have, have finally, you know, they're finally here or they've been here for a while, I guess. But, mm -hmm. um, that, that makes, uh, your branding a little easier in terms yes. of, uh, yes. field notes website. And <laughs> that kind of thing, right? Yes. Uh, yes. and that is, uh, uh that is 90% Draplin. Like that was like, yeah, right, right. you know, like the original yeah. field notes were set in Futura. And that was, that's part of what, I mean, that's part of what it is, man. Like that is, it is what it yeah, is. Like, yeah. you know, so that's not that's an important part of it. Yeah. No, no, I can't imagine. Uh, it's, it's brilliant. Uh, <laughs> so, so this, this thing in the spring, this is a field notes 
related thing or or separate? Yes. No, uh, this is the okay, spring great. limited edition. The quarterly limited edition right, for spring, spring gotcha. is a fairly straightforward concept that is done in a kind of an over-the-top printed sort of way. But the film that supports the spring edition is a ridiculous waste of time, energy, and money. So that's what we have what to look for. Look forward. This is this is what's refreshing about about all all of this is your uh motivation for for creating this stuff, right? Yeah. You know, it's 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 not the bottom line pushing you guys forward. It's it's um it's genuine curiosity like you said and and wanting to wanting to share this stuff with the world right we did we did a collaboration with belroy from australia and a really nice little leather cover for field notes and when we Mm. did the film for that we realized that we had never done a quote-unquote commercial like a 30 second spot like we'd never ever done that we've all these we tend to go on and on and they're long sort of unrelated things and so we went into the film for that with the idea of well let's make a spot and so we cast it and we did it in this location and it came out great and then people wrote me like that film is really great but it kind of felt like an ad like they they were writing us like (laughs) like like that like i don't know how to tell you i I don't know if i like that or not like it was sort of interesting so (laughs) that then we actually did what we were supposed to do nobody liked it so I mean, I think people oh, liked crazy. it, but they didn't like it that it felt. Well, like yeah. our, our films don't feel like a commercial for a product, mostly. No, and no, this one sort this one sort of did, and people are like, oh, I, we have a rule in what, filmmaking. What? <laughs> that, 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 that our rule in filmmaking is no fiction. So oh, if, yeah. if we're yeah, going to yeah. show a kindly grandfather at his workbench in the Vermont winter um, tying. Uh, fly fishing flies, then we really have mm. to find somebody's kindly grandfather in Vermont in the winter at their workshop tying flying yeah. flies. We don't cast somebody who <laughs> looks like somebody's grandfather. You know what I mean? Like that's our idea. So it's yeah. even obviously a lot of our films are sort of printing porn where we actually show the way that things are made and the, you know, the whole process and some of the interesting old school um, printing processes that we employ in a modern way. Um, but, and some of them are documentaries like the dime novel, which of course is nonfiction. But even when we do something that's more high concept, we always keep in mind that we really can't do like, it's a good guiding light for us is that we just don't, that's a good idea, but it's fiction is, you know, like fiction isn't field notesy in a sort of a way. I don't know if that's true. Well, or not, it's, but, it's, yeah. it's kind of amazing because you, you could, you could turn around and say back to them, you know, well, we've been showing you, commercial or advertisements you know all for years um but they that's that says a lot about the genuineness of of what you're sharing i think that's uh, what we're trying to do yeah we're, once again it, we're gonna sound like a broken record but we're making films we'd want to watch you know right like the product's sort of secondary the product's sort of an excuse for making the film in a way <laughs> and sometimes the film is an excuse for making the product even so like you know it's really yeah. interesting yeah i love it i love the motivation there well uh jim this has been awesome i i can't thank you enough for being on here and sharing some some behind the scenes uh gems oh, from, from field notes and <laughs> everything you're doing over there it's it's, it's amazing and, I, uh, and i totally dig what you're doing with this podcast too i like that it is like unstructured 
and kind of like, cause dribble is so many people with so many interests and like the mm-hmm. thing that brings them together, I think is a sort of, I guess you, would you say, let me interview for, interview for a second. Do you think there's yeah, a, yeah. a dribble aesthetic? <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. There's definitely people have, have, have mentioned that. And, I think there there probably appears to be if if you know depending on what parts of the site you're yeah. you're looking at you know obviously the popular page um, can kind of show like what's trendy in a way at times sort of um, of but the I moment kinda, yeah right <laughs> of the moment yeah, yeah and yeah. I think what's interesting is if you took a snapshot of all the different popular pages of the day um, over the last you know nine years or whatever but you, you would see that aesthetic kind of ebb and flow and change mm-hmm. and um, which I think is really cool. So if there is a dribble aesthetic, that's a, that's a good question. I'm not sh- I'm not sure what it would be today. You know, it'd probably right. be different today than it would have been last year. Maybe it kind of reminds me of like, remember before you were a designer before everything was available online in the world and you would look for inspiration and you would flip through design annuals. And if you go back and look at design annuals now, like print or creative arts or whatever it is, and you pick up a year, I don't know, pick up 2007 and flip through the design annual, you could see Mm -hmm. there was, there was a 2007 thing. Like there, you know what I mean? And I think, yeah. And I think that the beauty of dribble, and I, I didn't, mean to ask if there's an aesthetic in a way that makes it sort of pejorative in any way but I, I was sort of getting at what your answer was is yeah there there is an aesthetic today and there's one tomorrow and they might not be the same thing like it's yeah, interesting exactly. it would yes. be interesting to do what you said is somehow make some sort of a film of maybe the 10 most popular designs <laughs> over time yeah. and see you yeah. might, it might be a really interesting timeline about certainly about typography but also about taste and you know design through time it's sort of interesting i remember I dribble was always a big thing for me is when i was trying to find people to play layer tennis because oh, I, right. I felt course, like yeah. because people the thing about the constraints about dribble allowed people to show their design chops but also try to get an idea across in a really limited format which yeah, was always yeah. people who are really good dribblers tend to be really good layer tennis players i always thought yes you yes know. in fact i remember you know sean inman first comes yeah. to mind because yeah. i he was a early dribble member that was just incredible and and had a really good match on layer tennis around that same time yeah. and uh you're you're absolutely right and, and honestly like i think layer tennis was was an was another one of those um inspirations for for dribble in a way i mean like the like you know that that the idea of, of what you just said the constraint there mm-hmm. in the box and, and trying to like do something interesting in this space right and with with uh whatever you've got so i you know that's yet another thing we, we thank you for what um, what what percent i don't want to i don't want to go too far with this question but without what percentage of dribble members post Oh right. So well, yeah, because it's an invitation based, you know, only ten percent can actually post. Um right. oh, I so see. there's a lot of there's a lot of members that are, you know, simply fans of design or they're just following mm-hmm. the folks that are that are actually posting. And we've been growing that, you know, that that's sort of been 
increasing steadily as we um, grow the team and and have more things in place to ensure that things aren't being abused and all that kind of thing. That was kind of our main reason for keeping it small initially. Right. And, and now that the company's growing, uh, we can we can open up the gates a little bit and and get better about um, invitations. And uh, we just allow people now to upload work, you know, in a, in an attempt to uh, get invited to the site. So, so the, the, the percentage is still very low c- compared to the entire, you know, membership base. I see. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. It's yeah. interesting to watch. I used to look at it all the time for UI and like sort of web design things. And I find myself yeah. now, I probably flip through it much faster than I used to, but I find like, when I'm stuck for an idea, and it might not even be a design idea, it might be a conceptual idea or a, or a writing mm. idea, I find like banging through there really quickly, there's something about this, you know, relatively finished image after image after image after image, which sort of kind of breaks down the creative block for me. So thanks for yeah. that. So thanks for that. Yeah. Oh, well, that's awesome to hear. I'm, I'm glad it's been, I'm glad it's useful. I, um, yeah, I think that the, the cool thing about, Having everyone on a a more level playing field, perhaps with with that constraint, is it makes consuming it really fun and, and yeah. easy and quick and yeah, um, yeah. So I appreciate that. Cool, man. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Jim. This has been awesome. Uh, there's like so many parts of this conversation where I wanted. I said, oh, I got to follow up on this. I got to follow up on that. And uh, so this this could be easily like ten episodes worth right. of stuff. Well, let's see how the other people if if the other people just feel it's a couple of old web guys talking to each other, then maybe this will be the last one. But yeah, that, <laughs> if, if, if people that's true, of, maybe we're maybe our work here is done. But <laughs> hopefully, hopefully not. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, I uh, we're going to be excited to watch what happens this spring, obviously, uh, and, and well, just in general in the future. But um, keep up the awesome work sir will do talk to you soon Dan yeah see you Jim thanks this has been Overtime Dribble's official podcast I'm Dan Cedarholm and thanks for listening to this week's episode please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and uh, we'll see you next time thanks again thanks again